Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for focused staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Focus's Manager of Spiritual Formation, and today I am once again joined by Father Kevin Dyer, Focus's Senior National Chaplain. So we're doing a series on discerning God's will, and today I want to talk about the final stages of discernment. In our last episode, we talked about ways to discern God's will, um, according to St. Ignatius of Loyola. But today I want to talk about, you've been discerning for a while. How do you know that your discernment is complete, Father? Yeah, again, these are questions that that engage the human reality, which is so big, and they don't admit simple, easy answers. They're opportunities to point out certain things. For instance, sometimes you know, people's temperament is that I have to come to a decision right now. I have to get this done. And there's the danger then of rushing the decision before they've really thought it through. And you can tell that something's going on there because, again, it's so rushed, it's anxious, it's I have to you know, get this done, it has to happen now. Are the people around you saying this has to happen right now? Or are you the one saying it has to happen right now? So that's a, a test. If you know that you are the kind of person that has to get things done right now, all right, check yourself. You know there's people around you who can help you. On the other hand, there's people who are fine with waiting and letting things develop. You know, they're the people who say, yeah, don't shoot until you see the white of their eyes. You know, There's something good in that, giving a decision time. The danger is you become the perpetual discerner. Oh, the time's not right. The time's not right. The time's not right. And vocation directors would call these people, you know, professional tire kickers. They're always kicking the tires, never making the decision, am I going to enter the seminary or am I not going to enter the seminary? And when you find yourself just circling and circling and circling and not really going anywhere, all right, you should start challenging yourself. And you know, again, talking to the people who know you, talking to your spiritual director, you know, is it time to make a decision? A lot of times we get sidetracked by the desire for certainty. We want to have mathematical certainty that we're supposed to do whatever it is. Well, it's called mathematical certainty for a reason, because it applies in math. <laughs> when you're doing math problems, you get that kind of certainty. But in human affairs, there's always risk. There's always risk. And it's part of maturing in life to accept risk. Doesn't mean that, that you are dangerous. You know, there is the, the other extreme that you're just reckless, of course. But there's also the danger that I don't accept risk. And people can ask themselves the false question, what if I'm wrong? So they have all sorts of good reasons for making decision X, but then they say, well, what if I'm wrong? There's no real good reason attached to it. There's just this vague fear. Well, what if I'm wrong? I wouldn't want to have missed out, right? Well, yeah, but okay, how about you decide the other way? Couldn't you just as equally say then, well, what if I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, well, maybe I'm uh, missing out. Maybe I should go back to my first one. But what if I'm wrong? So what if I'm wrong is only a real question 
if there's substantive reasons behind it that lead toward an answer, which is better than the other answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's a fake question when it's just a way of us staying in self-doubt and never making a commitment. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I've seen so many people who at one time in their lives or another with a certain choice become the perpetual discerner. And that's a painful place to be. There's a freedom with saying, I'm going to make a step to pursuing God's will. And if you're just constantly discerning, that can become really discouraging. Yeah. And you can feel like God is far away, that he doesn't care about this important decision in your life. And I've noticed at that point, people kind of become novena addicts. Mm. Where it's like, if I just say a novena to St. Therese, and that didn't work. So I say the 21-day novena to St. Therese. And if I just keep saying novenas or keep talking to a different spiritual director, something is going to happen. And that's really difficult. And I think you're right. We talked in the past two episodes about attachments. And the thing that oftentimes we're attached to is that mathematical certainty. Mm. I just want to be certain of what God's will is. But we have to take a risk, like you said, or another way to say it is we have to step out in faith. Yeah, yeah, we have to step out of the boat with, with St. Peter sometimes. And that can be the good thing to pray with when we realize, oh, I'm at that point where I'm just circling. Bring it to the Lord, the way that Peter brought it to the Lord. So what does St. Ignatius say when you've been discerning for a while and you're really leaning towards a certain choice? What's your next step? You know, one thing he talks about is, you know, just as a way of summing together everything. You know, when, when you really feel like it is time to make that decision, and you, and you have a sense of, of what the Holy Spirit is inspiring you toward, all right, to make that decision, to be in that internal place of saying, all right, this is what I'm doing, and then just going to the Lord and offering it to Him to see if it is received by Him. Uh, you know, it's just offering dishes to the Lord and seeing if this dish is pleasing to Him. Uh, that this can be a good spiritual exercise to sum things up. Now, again, with the warning, this isn't something that you're meant to do consistently for a year. Mm -hmm. No, it's a way of summing it up and bringing it to the Lord. You basically, it sums up the graces that you've received up until that point. So that's that's one thing you can do. Yeah, I feel like at this point, too, uh, when people want the Lord to confirm the decision that they've made, they'll ask for signs. And it's interesting, like sometimes people at the very beginning of the discernment process, they'll say, just give me a sign of what you want me mm -hmm. to do. And I often make fun of that. And we all know that I'm a bad person. And the bad person <laughs> in me wants to take roses to our new staff training and to retreats and just spray them everywhere and see what kind of havoc I can wreck in people's lives. But at the same time... You are a bad person. I know, Jessica. I am. You are a bad, bad I person. Am. Um, but at the same time, in Scripture, you do see people asking for signs, and Jesus and God communicates to them through signs, like Gideon and the fleece. So what's the role of signs in discernment? Well, you know, it. I, I find signs to be... It's such an interesting phenomenon. It can be something that you ask kind of at the, at the end to confirm... The, the way that you're going. And I think when signs work the best, when they seem most authentic, is when they have the effect of drawing together something that's been bubbling up mm -hmm. and just confirming it. Like, yep, 
That's it. I like that. Not you know, this thing out of the blue that tells me to do something which is completely throwing me into havoc or this thing that is confirming my attachments and giving me the relief of my attachments. You know, uh, that those are times where it's a sign that you just can't tell what it means. Well, you don't need to obsess over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, go back to these other ways of, of discerning that we've been talking about and, and trusting that the Lord can communicate with you that way if he's not communicating with you these other ways. So say you have reached a decision. Let's say that a man is praying, I'm going to join the seminary. And he keeps leaning towards seminary and he takes it to prayer. He feels like God confirms it. He asks St. Therese to confirm it. He gets the roses and he goes to some event in the Catholic community and then he meets the girl. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is a roundabout way of saying, what if you start to change your mind, especially if after you feel like you've made a decision, the circumstances change? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you know, I'll just say that in, in decision-making in general, St. Ignatius, his common practice was to tell a person, don't make snap decisions. If possible, take a step back, reflect deliberate, consider, and then after having done so, decide. Once you've decided, then do it. And that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. Once you've made your decision, do it. Go through with it. You know, uh, And to go through with it at the first possible moment. Like not to put it off unless there's really good reason to put it off. You know, it's impossible to do it right now. Uh, okay, then put it off. But you do it at the first moment that you can. Mm-hmm. And that's very freeing when you come to that place in life where you can make a decision and then carry it through. So, you know, if I'm reading your example correctly here, you know, this, this person who has made a decision, okay, some things pop up. Let me tell you, in those big decisions like entering seminary and religious life, things do pop up. Yes. It, it happens all the time. Or, you know, in missionary life. And most missionaries probably can think back to when they joined staff after they had accepted, you know, the offer, they can probably think back to things that happened between accepting the offer and the first day of new staff training that got them think, well, maybe you should do this, maybe you should do that, the other, and to be so glad that they, they carried through with it. Now that's just an interesting point about discerning and then making a commitment because our culture is very anti-commitments. Like you can always change your plans. So what about somebody, say they make a smaller commitment, like uh, they discern, should I go on a focus mission trip? And they discern, yes, they start planning it. And then they're like, oh, but I didn't realize how busy I was going to be. Should I discern if God wants me to no longer do this thing? What do you think about that? Jessica, you've already shown to us how you're a bad person. Yes, I am. All right. Let me show you how I was a bad person. Uh, last year, the missionaries at Tulane asked if I would say Mass for their outgoing students, their alums. Uh, and so I said, oh, that'd be, that'd be great. I'd be glad to do that. Uh, and so the day before, one of the Tulane missionaries texted me, just to make sure, Father, uh, yeah, you still coming for Mass tomorrow, just confirming. And I texted back saying, you know, I don't really feel called. 
that's pretty good. Why did I do it? Because I'm a bad person, Jessica. Because I'm a bad person. And like most missionaries experience this so often, you know, of students you know, committing to something and then pulling back. And I don't really feel caught. No, if you if you make a commitment, follow it through. Mm-hmm. Mission trip, all you know, all these sorts of things. Now, do real things arise to take you out of certain commitments? Uh, yes, but you know, for the most part, these are the kind of things that the people who are doing this with you hear it and they're like. Oh yeah, you need to stay home. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Not the kind of things where everybody on the trip is like, "You are hanging us out to dry." You know? Yeah. It is. It is a place where we need to push back on the culture and understand. Yeah, that I'm capable of making commitments, and first these small commitments, you know, going on this mission trip, you know, fulfilling, you know, accomplishing the task I said I would do, but then bigger commitments, you know, like. Staying on staff, you know, on on my campus, observing the dating fast, you know, things like that, you know, following through with these commitments. Why? Because one day you're going to be making some big commitments. Mm -hmm. You're going to be giving your life to your spouse. You are going to be consecrating yourself to the Lord in vows or in holy orders. And all those little commitments are going to teach you certain skills, certain habits that are essential for fulfilling the larger commitments in life. Because the larger commitments require sacrifice. They require us to see beyond our momentary reaction. And and it also requires us, when we find ourselves in a really difficult circumstance, and, and our first thought is, well, yeah, these are signs that I shouldn't be here. To step back and think, well, maybe it's not a sign I shouldn't be here. Maybe it's an opportunity for me to grow or to transform in some way. And, you know, and the the Holy Spirit gives us those graces to transform in the face of, you know, those difficult moments within our commitments. Yeah, well, and those smaller commitments, it's like that scripture passage where Jesus says that he who can be trusted with smaller things can be trusted with greater things. Jesus is building up our muscles to be given more responsibility. But what you're saying is kind of reminding me of something else related to discernment. I don't know what you call it, maybe discernment party fouls, where you use discernment uh, in a way that it should not be used. Um, kind of making excuses for what you want and then blaming the deity. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen this in dating relationships where people will say, well, I've just discerned and uh, God isn't calling us to move forward in our dating relationship. And I really want it, but it's just not God's will or something. It's like, okay, don't blame the deity. Own <laughs> up to your feelings. Own up, yeah. Own up to the decision. But then also people can use discernment in a negative way in team life by saying, well, you know, I prayed about this. I discerned about this. And this is God's will. And sometimes that can be a little manipulative, but yeah. I think people don't even realize it because yeah. they can try to force their own will through their own prayer. Yeah, kind of hang it over people's heads. Yeah, and it's not uh, oftentimes just their own discernment. I mean, in the Je- in the Jesuit world, there's all kinds of great stories in this regard. One of the Jesuits that I was close to talks about how he just always felt like he was supposed to go and do ministry with Native Americans. And he went into the formation director and 
said to him, Father, I've prayed about this. I have uh, brought this to my spiritual director. I have, you know, I'm just, I am just sure that it is God's will that I go to uh, minister to the Native Americans next year. And the formation director just took his cigarette, tapped it on his watch, took one puff. No way. <laughs> the, the the Jesuit life has the ways of uh, throwing cold water on our uh, you know on our thoughts and plans and schemes and all sorts of ways. It was pretty cold. Yeah, that, that was very cold water. Yeah, the guy did all sorts of amazing things and the things he was sent to do. Now, this isn't to say that. Therefore, it is useless to pray about these things and you know discern to the best of our knowledge where God is leading us. You know, of course, we should be we should be praying about you know all the time. What is the best way I can serve? The danger is when you know we are so totally sure of our discernment, or we want to use our inclination, our discernment, in such a way as to force other people's hands. Mm-hmm. And God doesn't take away people's free will like that. Yeah. And so this, you know, it happens, it happens pretty often. And, and like you said, often for good-hearted reasons, like people do want to look at their life and their decisions in terms of, I'm not just making my own decision. I'm doing this in conjunction uh, with God. Uh, there are certain decisions that... Like you do have a sense that God is leading you toward it. Like this is what God wants. But then uh, often what it's good to do is to say to yourself, all right, if this is of God's will, then he'll confirm it by making it happen. Yes, that's so true. I mean, like it says in Revelation, Jesus opens a door and no man can close it. And he closes and no man can open. And so if it really is God's will and you did your part to present that and to say, I've prayed about this. Here's what I feel like God has shown me to the other people involved. And they say, no, well, God is going to make it happen anyway. That's right. But if it's not his will or he's giving other discernments to the other people involved, then we also need to not be overly attached to what God shows us in our personal prayer. Yeah. I want to return to something that we talked about in a previous episode, but I think that it's very relevant for discernment in that I think that a lot of people tend to think that automatically God wants me to choose the choice that is the most sacrificial Mm -hmm. because that's how I'll be embracing the cross. What do you think about that? You know, often it seems that this is, it's putting a limit on God. Yeah. You know, that, oh yeah, God wants me to always do the tough thing that God basically wants to torture me, makes make my life awful. And I always need to, to do the awful thing. That's not necessarily the case at all. You know, we can do a lot of good service for God by being in an occupation or a place or a context that makes our work and our effort easier. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll just say that, but notice what we're saying here, that we're going into a place that's, you know, it's making us more generous, more able to serve the Lord, to do more uh, for him. And so the, the focus here is still on God. Also, bearing in mind always that, yeah, I can have a sense that campus A or campus B or job A or job B is a place that 
that I'm going to be able to serve the Lord well. That doesn't necessarily mean that God wants me there right now. That God's timing is not our timing. Yes, that is true. And I've experienced this in all sorts of ways in in my life, that I expected God's timing to be one thing, and his was very different. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I also think that when people automatically think that it's the most sacrificial choice, there is oftentimes something really good in their heart that is saying, I wish that I wanted the most sacrificial choice because I want to make sacrifices for Jesus, but we don't need to choose our sacrifices. They will come to us. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you find God's will, there will always be a cross with it, but there will always be a resurrection too. There's always that quiet consolation that is there. The quiet consolation of, yeah, this is difficult, but this is given to the Lord. It's the sacrifice he wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Yeah. This episode is about the final stages in discernment, but it's kind of wrapping up our series on discerning God's will. So any final thoughts yeah. either on uh, the final stages of discernment or just discernment in general? Well, I'm just mindful right now of, you know, if a person's listened through all this, all the different ways in which we hedged what we said. You know, like this, but also, you know, think about it on the other side. And they could start thinking, oh, well, is there anything actually here? Like, what what solid thing, you know, was was said? Because it always seemed like, well, it was depending on this context or that context. Yes, that discernment and decision-making, it is something where you don't just come in with the one formula that's going to solve every problem. But that through experience, both your own experience and what you've gained from others, you begin to see the nuances and how, yes, this rule fits there, but it doesn't fit there. Or this bit of advice fits there, but it wasn't meant for that. And that really is the, the only way to start putting that stuff together is with experience. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we listen to the wisdom of the church, of the saints, of St. Ignatius. Listen to the wisdom of spiritual directors or you know people that, that have gone before us and have built up some of, of that wisdom. Because, yeah, they will help us to apply these different bits of wisdom in the right place in our life. That's true. I think that my last thought on discerning God's will is friends don't let friends discern alone. (laughs) So there's a reason why so many saints have extolled having a spiritual director. And I'd encourage any of our missionaries who are discerning God's will If you don't have a spiritual director, reach out to one of the national chaplains or um, your campus chaplain, somebody who you trust, who you can talk about the different movements of your heart with. We can kind of deceive ourselves or we can just get lost in all of the different movements of our hearts. But having a spiritual director who can help us to discern God's will is just crucial and it's so clarifying. I, I would add to that, Jessica, just the one one caution too. Like, let's say I don't have a spiritual director, but I'm making a big decision. There can be the temptation then, well, now I'm going to get a spiritual director and they're going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And that is an unrealistic expectation because that new spiritual director doesn't really know you. Yeah. They don't know your context. They don't know your particular strengths and weaknesses. They don't know your, your story. Now, they may know a whole lot about basic rules of discernment and 
Like there, there's all sorts of ways they can help you, but don't expect them to all of a sudden have complete knowledge of you, and they're going to give you the one answer that you have to follow. Uh, you keep your freedom in that, and uh, and you always keep that risk of it's my decision. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for somebody who's trying to discern a choice but has not been able to find a spiritual director, even if they've really tried? Well, I, you know, obviously that you're going to have you're going to have people in your life that that you can go to for a certain amount of wisdom who, who know you, uh, whom you trust, and are going to be able to speak to you honestly. Uh, so, you know, rely on the people who know you and love you. Uh, but also, you know, feel free to reach out to one of the national chaplains. You know, reach out. Focus has, has resources available. And, yeah, reach out to those, those people that can give you some help along the way. Excellent. Well, this has been a great conversation about discerning God's will. Thank you for joining me. Could you offer a blessing for everyone? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God Almighty Father, you have created us, and even though we wandered far from you, you drew us back to yourself and redeemed us through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And you send the Holy Spirit into the world so that we might grow in holiness that we might learn to serve you. We pray, Lord, that we might have the gift of wisdom, of discernment, to know how your Holy Spirit is leading us, how we are being placed beside Jesus Christ, your Son, transformed into his image. Lord, give us tremendous generosity and tremendous trust in you so that we might love you and serve you in all things. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening.